So it's my privilege this morning to introduce to you Kent Munhink, one of the missionaries that we support. Come on up, Kent. Kent uh, and his wife and entire family have been in Papua New Guinea for years. Matter of fact, they're going back um, in January for another three-year stint. And during that three years, they won't return from the missions field. They'll be in Papua New Guinea the entire time. And the interesting thing to me is I was talking to Kent this morning is he tells me that he wishes he could stay longer. So praise God for people like Kent and welcome. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. It is really good to be here with you this morning, and I've enjoyed the service so much. In fact, it's like, you know, do we really have to stop? And the answer is no. The answer is no, we don't have to stop. True? Because we can praise God, we can worship Him, not only in song, but also through looking at His Word. True? Amen? And that's really what I want to do this morning. That is my focus this morning. Um, before I get started, I do want to introduce to you my wife and um, my daughter, and I do have two other children. It'll come up on the screen eventually, I'm thinking, maybe. Um, anyway, aha, there they are. Okay, so if Michelle and Alicia, would you stand up? That's my wife, Michelle, and my youngest daughter, Alicia. you notice there's five in that picture there. Two of them are missing. Um, our oldest, Daniel, is at Messiah College. And some of you might know uh, Stephanie. She graduated from high school last year. She is um, now at Baylor University. And so... Um, this is my family, and we are looking forward to, well, I don't know exactly how it is. Life just keeps transitioning. And when we go back this July, we're going to be leaving our two oldest behind. And so it's going to be very difficult for us, very different. Um, I'm an old man, you know, starting to get that nesty, empty nest syndrome, if I can spit that one out. But nevertheless, it's all right, isn't it? Because life is dynamic with God. True? And if there's one thing I have learned about serving God in the country of Papua New Guinea is that life just keeps changing. There's nothing static. Nothing seems to change, stay the same. It just keeps moving. Um, we are missionaries with a group called Pioneers. That's just the name of the mission that actually does the, that basically they, they take care of us. Um, if there's something that needs to be done, then they're the ones doing it. We're making a transition now. They're helping us. They're in charge of a lot of that sort of stuff. They just help us. But that's, that's the mission that we're with. Um, the country of Papua New Guinea it lies just above Australia. It is the eastern half of the second largest island in the world. Um, it is about the size of Texas with a third missing. So it's about two-thirds the size of Texas, but it has a population of just 6.5 million, which is about equal to that of the Metroplex. So you take that 6.5 million of the Metroplex and you splinter them up into about 830 different groups, each one of those groups having a different language, and you scatter them over two-thirds of Texas, and you get an idea. You get an idea, although the land's not quite the same. Fortunately, it's not hot, dry. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, Got to tell you, when you think of the tropics, yeah, some places are warm. We live in the highlands where it's just beautiful. So you know, yeah, we don't get the hot Texas. We, in fact, we've been suffering this summer and this winter because over there it's tropical. It doesn't get that hot and it doesn't get that cold. Nevertheless, <laughs> moving on, Papua New Guinea, um, like I said, is about two-thirds the size of Texas. And when we first went to the country of Papua New Guinea, 
Um, we landed out in the middle of the jungle working with one tribe, the Ningram tribe, of about five, five and a half thousand people. Sometimes it's hard to really get a good head count when they're scattered all over the place. And they had just one of the languages, the Ningram language. Um, like I mentioned, there are 830 different languages. There's no other country that comes close to having that many languages. And with such a small population, it is one of the most diverse countries that you will find in the world. Um, when we first arrived in 1994, we um, went out and we lived by an airstrip. We, opened, we didn't open the airstrip. The airstrip had just opened just before we got there. And we lived on the side of that airstrip, our little house up in the corner. That, that's ours. That's ours. That's where we lived. And we lived among those people. And we, we began to develop relationships with them. And we began to learn the culture because their culture is not like ours. Their culture is so very different from ours that it is, it is almost diametrically opposed. It just butts up against um, not just our culture, but following God. Because their culture is steeped in what's called animism. And we'll get onto that a little bit later in describing a little bit what animism is. But animism, following animism, and following God, they're just opposite. Well, um, it wasn't long after we were there that the people themselves saw the need for teaching. And that's really what's going on. And that's what I want to show you this morning is that there's this huge work of God that is going on in the country of Papua New Guinea. It started way back in the 30s when, when people were going out into the middle of the jungle and they were opening stations just like we did. So we got to experience what happened 50 years ago, um, before we got there at least, 50 years before we got there. And then now that missions and um, evangelism has progressed what really is taking shape is the country needs to move towards teaching. Because what first happened when people went out there and they shared the gospel, they talked to them. See, animism, let me explain to you a little bit about what animism is, is sometimes called the worship of the spirits. And that really brings a bad idea into your mind. It's not really worshiping the spirits. It's not like we've worshipped Jesus today. It is not anything like that. Really, animism, the best working definition of animism, is trying to get the spirits to do what you want them to do. The spirits are real. The spirits are real. And they can be manipulated. But see, their manipulation is just to make people follow them more and follow them more. They don't realize the trap that they are already caught in and that God wants to free them from. And when they hear, when they first heard about God, what the missionaries presented to them, unfortunately, not understanding animism, was that there was this spirit, this God who loved them. And they were used to having many spirits. They were used to having many, you could call them gods with a small g, but many spirits. And they were presented this spirit called the good spirit. The good spirit. And they thought, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. We've learned about a new spirit, a spirit who loves us. Well, none of these other spirits, they don't love us. Not at all. We try and get them to do what we want them to do, but they don't love us. This spirit is good. He will only do what is good. Well, that's really nice. Because these other spirits, you know, sometimes we'll do things all the same way. We'll do it once this way, and, and everything goes just the way we want. We get what we want from the spirits, and, and we do it the same thing again, and it just blows up in our face. We, we never know quite for certain what's going to happen. But this, sir, this, God, this spirit is always good. Well, that's nice. He always does what is best for us. Wow. Nice, sweet, I know what's best for me. He'll do what I want him to do. That's just wonderful, and he loves us. This is just great. And so what they thought in their mind was, great, we'll just take this spirit and put him at the top of the list. 
And so when we want something from the spirits, we'll go to the good spirit first. And we'll ask the good spirit for what we want. And if the good spirit doesn't give us what we want, well, that's fine because we've got a whole bunch of others. And so we'll just go on down the list and go to the next spirit and the next spirit and the next spirit until we get what we want from the spirits. And that's what they were thinking. And when we went to this one tribe out in the middle of the jungle and we began teaching them the difference between that idea of animism, that idea of God, and what God really, who he really is, and what it really means to follow God, things changed. Things changed dramatically. They wanted that teaching. In fact, they actually asked us to open a Bible school. This is not to our credit. This is not to our credit. This is part of the work of God that is going all across the country. Because remember the Great Commission? It says what? You guys know it. It sounds like there's four commands, so I'm going to quiz you on there. Okay, it says what? Go you therefore into all the world and make disciples. Right? Next. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, I heard it, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Okay, it sounds like there are four words there in the English language that are commands. Do you know how many commands there are there? Anybody know? Anybody? Nope, not four. There's one, exactly. There is only one command. See, the other three are what are called participles. They're basically saying, this is what you're doing. I'll get into that. Now, the, that's, I don't want to ruin it. Does anybody know what that one command is? Nope. Nope. I'm waiting for it. Making disciples. Making disciples. That is the only command there. Basically, you could translate that verse, as you are going. How many of you, I mean, I know in Texas there's a lot of people who live here and who die here. But we are a mobile society, true? People are traveling and going all the time. Yes? And really that verse is saying, as you are going. We just happen to go to Papua New Guinea. You go to Walmart. Whatever. We're all going. Right? Okay? As you are going, what do you do? The command, make disciples. Make disciples. How do you do that? baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the idea of evangelism. And that's what was going on in Papua New Guinea long before we got there, is evangelism was happening. But what's the second part? Not only you make disciples, not only by evangelism, but all through, through what? Teaching. Through teaching. And that's what's going on in Papua New Guinea. The second part of the Great Commission is what is in action right now. It is teaching. It is teaching. And you know what? The people are hungry for the word. It's amazing. I know that sounds really weird because in America, it's like trying to get people to, you know, really study the Bible and really get into it. it yeah, that's kind of a tough one right there. You know, I'm not, <laughs> I guess we could try it. No, over there, they love it. They desire it. There are so many Christians that want to learn. And so even out in the middle of the jungle, we opened up this little bitty Bible school and we began teaching. And that teaching didn't just stop with those students. It went out from them. And they continued to teach the people throughout the entire tribe. Well, when the work there finished up, God decided to move us on. And when he moved us on, he moved us from that one place in Papua New Guinea off to the east to another place. And while we were there, um, where he moved us to was a place called Christian Leaders Training College. 
Christian Leaders Training College is a very good Christian institution of evangelical learning. They teach the Bible, and they teach it right. They teach it straight. And they are trying to rightly divide the word of truth. And to this college comes people who are pastors. These are not people who want to be pastors. Don't think of America. When you think of Papua New Guinea, you have to think completely differently. Number one, their education system used to only go through 10th grade. Now it goes through 12th. And it's not even nearly as high as the American education system. And ours is not really all that high compared to a lot of the places in the world. Um, so we have found out by experience. <laughs> you can ask my daughter about that one after class or after class. This is class? This is class. After, hey, I'm a teacher, okay? <laughs> so, um, nevertheless, um, these people, they are already pastors. They're already leaders in their denominations. They're already ready men who are going to be or are already in the process of being Bible school teachers. Some of them out in small Bible schools, some of them in larger training centers. They're coming to this school in order to learn the Bible, learn it well, so they can teach themselves. So the teaching just keeps perpetuating itself. And it's, a, it's an incredible place to go. And the students there, they come from all over the country. It's not just from one little tribe. It's from all over the country. And again, the desire is there. They want to be there. But Christian Leaders Training College has one small problem. It's size limited. See, they can only handle a student body of about 100 different students because people must come with their families. And so, therefore, they must provide housing with them. This is not in a town. They're not, you know, um, apartment blocks and stuff like that where people can go and live. You have to live on the campus. That's just the way it is in Papua New Guinea. You have to live on the campus. And you, no matter what training institution you go to, you live there. And so they're limited to about 100 students. Uh, between 30 and 35 new slots open up every year from students who have left or graduated or whatever. But for those 30 to 35 different slots, there are between 120 and 180 applicants. That means for every one student they accept, they have to turn away between three and four. Now, some of them, yeah, they're not exactly qualified. They were just trying because, really, it's kind of a feather in your cap if you say, I went to Christian Leaders Training College. But there are so many that year after year they have to say, you're qualified, we want to train you, but maybe next year. There's just not room. Maybe next year. Some of them have heard it so many times. They have to keep renewing, just updating their application, and every year they hear the same thing. Maybe next year. Maybe next year we'll have room. Maybe next year. These people who want to. And see, the idea is these people are not going on their own. It's not somebody who just jumped out of high school and said, I want to be a pastor. No, these are people who have been serving. And their congregation has looked at them and said, we see that God is working in you, and we want to send you off to get more education so that you can come back and teach us. We stand behind you. We want to send you. And the college has to say, sorry, maybe next year. Well, we want to help fix that problem. And that's what God's called us to do. That's what God's called us to do. Because now he's moved us once again. Now just a little bit further to the east. And he's going to move us to a place called Ukarumpa. It is um, Wycliffe Bible Translators' main station. Now, there's a lot of different missionaries from a lot of different missions that are working there. And so we're with pioneers. We will continue to be with pioneers. That will not change. But we will also continue the ministry of teaching. 
Because what they want to do is they want to open up a training center. That's a training center right there that you see that has been built. It's a training center that's been built. The largest building there is a set of dormitories. They have classrooms. They have a dining hall. They have everything already in place. They just don't have teachers. They just don't have teachers. And that's what God's called us to do. We are going over there, and I'm going to be a fir- the first full-time teacher in that, in that school. And really, it's not a school yet, but we're hoping to build it up because we want to see something done about all those people, all those men and women who are turned away year after year. Not because there's something sinful about that, but because there's a need there, a glaring need, and we want to help fulfill that need. These men and women, they come from all over. That first guy you see there, that guy's name, that guy, I, this is the kind of teaching that just, that I just love. Um, it is teaching people the basics. He has been, he was the pastor for over three years of the village church right there beside that station. And he signed up for a New Testament, New Testament introduction class that I did, and he had never had any Bible training. None whatsoever. Pastor for three years. Never had any Bible training. And when he came, he got so excited. He said, I never knew this stuff was in here. This is great. And he kept signing up. He has signed up for now several classes to try and learn because he wants to learn and understand God's word. And so we want to try and make that possible. That's what God's called us back to do. Like I said, nothing remains the same. He keeps moving us. He keeps moving us. But that's where we're going this next time. We're going back and trying to get this training center off the ground so that more people can learn and understand God's word. Animism. Yeah, it's kind of a scary thing. But you know what? These people are beautiful people. And their heart, so many of them love God. And how they can turn from following the spirits and turn their back on those spirits, turn their back on manipulating the spirits and trying to get the spirits to do what they want them to do and say, no, I will follow God. I will trust him. I will do what he says, no matter what it is. I don't have to agree with it. I don't have to particularly like it. I just have to do it because he is my God. Amen? And that's what we do. We follow God because he is our God. That's why we follow him. Many times as um, I were, well, how should I say it? Growing up in churches, I tended to go to some fairly legalistic churches. And so many times in so many churches, what you hear about so much is how to follow God. How do you follow God? Oh, we learn about the works of the flesh, right? And all those terrible things that we shouldn't do. Are those things we shouldn't do? Amen. Yes. And the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, those are the good things we should do. And those are in Galatians. And when I teach Galatians, I love Galatians. Oh, I could talk to you about that for hours because Paul, he's really kind of snarky. <laughs> he is just, he's, mm-hmm, yeah. Sometimes we have to just really, yeah, in class we have a lot of fun. If you haven't, haven't studied Galatians, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And it can be hilarious because Paul is just great that way. But that's one of the things that we look at. We look at the fruit of the Spirit. We look at the works of the flesh. 
And in Ephesians, there's all these other things. You know, you should do this and you shouldn't do this. You should do this instead of doing this. You shouldn't do this, but you should do that. All of these things. Walk worthy. All of these things. And you know what? We oftentimes hear those messages. And those are good messages. Those are good messages. And those are all about how we are to follow God. How do we follow him? But this morning, I want to ask you the question, why do you follow God? Why? Not how. A lot of times we get the how. But I want to ask you, why? Why do you follow him? Why? Is there a reason for it? Why do you follow him? Well, my second favorite, actually not my second favorite, my other favorite course, which is actually my most favorite course, Galatians being one of them, is called Sin and Salvation. And it is basically taking the students through what the Bible says about sin and what the Bible says about salvation. And it's an eight, we go, go through it eight weeks, and I tell them from the outset, I say, look, for the first three weeks, you are going to feel rotten. You're going to feel bad. Because we're going to study in the Bible what you were before you came to Christ. Because a lot of you don't even know how bad you were. You were tootling along. You didn't have a clue. You think you just made a little bitty sideways step, and now you're following God. No. No. You just don't understand. So I tell them, I want you to understand what you were before you came to Christ. Because, see, it's when we see where we came from to where we have gone to that we can really praise him. And that's what the last five weeks of the course are all about. It's about all of those things that God has done for us in salvation. And man, the first three weeks, as depressing as they are, the last five weeks, nothing but praise. Nothing but praise. But you have to go through the first part. You have to go through the first part or you don't understand. And so we start out with Romans 5.12. And you've seen the verse before. We're going to hit a lot of verses you know very well. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, so death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. You need to th- remember something here. When the Bible talks about sin in the singular, it is, especially in the New Testament, it is normally talking not about stealing. Okay? That's sin. That's sin, but that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about sins. It's not talking about sins. It is talking about sin. Through one man, sin. Through one man, sin came into the world. What he's talking about there is the sin nature. Every one of us has the sin nature within us. You know what that means? Very simply, it just means it's natural for us to want to sin. We want to sin. It is natural. It is natural. That's the norm. That's the norm. People think, oh, no, I was a good person before. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. (laughs) You were terrible. And you just don't know it. You're just ignorant. I'm sorry. That's a bad word. No, you just don't know any better. (laughs) You just don't know any better. And that's what I try and teach them. I want you to know That you were God's enemy. You had set your face against him even though you didn't know it. You didn't love him. 
You didn't care for him. You didn't want to follow him. You had turned away from him. You had turned towards sin and self. And you didn't care anything about him. And you just didn't know it. See, the thing is, we're all made in the image of God. And so there's still some vestige of that image within us. And so we tend to magnify the good within ourselves and think that we're wonderful, special people because we seem to display that remnant of God's image inside of us. When really, that's just a small part. That's a very marred, marred image. Because really this verse is saying, therefore, just as the sin nature came into the world through one man, and so death, not just physical death, spiritual death. What is death? What is death? Death, by definition, is essentially separation. When we die physically, what's separated? The body and the spirit, right? Yes? Okay. When we die physically, the body separates from the spirit. That person's dead. You can kick the body. It's not moving. Okay? It's dead. It's dead. What is spiritual death? Death, by definition, is separation. What is spiritual death? Separation from God. You got it. Therefore, just as the sin nature came into the world through one man, and so spiritual death, separation from God, and so spiritual death through the sin nature, and so spiritual death spread to all men because all have sinned. You look at it like this. There's one man, Adam. Well, okay, don't give Adam a bad rap because the Bible tells us that if it, you were Adam or Eve, <laughs> if you were Adam, you'd have done the same thing. You'd have done the same thing. So there's no pawning it off on Adam. Oh, he's the bad guy in all this. No, no, I'd have done the same thing. I know how wicked I am. <laughs> I know how bad I am and how bad I was. And yeah, I'd have done the same thing. I'd have done the same thing. And through that one man came sin. Right? And a result of that sin is what? What did we look at? Sin nature, right? And because of the sin nature, somebody already said it, spiritual death. One man. Sin nature. Spiritual death. That falls to all of us. That falls to all of us. Every one of us before we come to Christ, are spiritually dead. We're absolutely dead. My daughter, I'm going to terribly, I'm going to use her as an example. Okay, she's going to hit me because I didn't warn her on this one. She tries to talk to some people about God. And I have to warn her, look, they're not going to understand a lot of these things because they're dead. Dead people don't understand a lot. Okay? You ever gone up and tried to preach at a corpse in a funeral? Hey, dude, come on, get up. <laughs> he ain't listening. Change your ways. He's dead. Dead people don't listen. We were spiritually dead. Spiritually dead before we came to Christ. But see, there's something else. There's something else. Romans seven eighteen says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry out. This is Paul talking as a non-Christian. He says, I know nothing good dwells in me. Well, what good dwells in us as Christians? Come on. He filled me with the Holy Ghost. And he saved me to the othermost. Amen? 
We are filled with the Holy Ghost. A non-Christian, they don't have the Holy Ghost. They do not have the Holy Ghost. There is nothing good that dwells in him. And so Paul's talking as a non-Christian. For I have the desire to do what is right. Remember Paul, if there was anybody who was a good person in and of himself, it would have been Paul, right? Paul was a man, he started in Tarsus and probably moved to Jerusalem, schooled under a guy named Gamaliel. Okay, this is the Princeton of the day. This is the highest of the high. He went to the best school. And then he became a Pharisee. And as a Pharisee, he said he was what? Blameless. Faultless. Didn't do anything wrong. He followed all the rules. He did everything right. He went to the right schools. He did it. He had it all down. He had followed the Old Testament law to the T. And he said, it is all what? What did he say it was? Anybody remember? Garbage? Oh, that's a, that's a translation that just doesn't, just doesn't meet it. Dung? Ah, there's another one. You know what that word really is? Feces. Oh. Ken, did you say that in church? Yeah, I did. Because Paul said it. So if you got problems with me, talk to Paul. And if you got problems with him, talk to God. Because that was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So hey, you know, that's what it says. And in context, is that dog feces? No. Is it cow feces? No. Human feces. He says, I did everything right. I did everything right. And in God's eyes, it's just a steaming pile of... And we'll just stop there. <laughs> That's all it is. The best we can manage as a non-Christian is just a steaming pile. It's nasty. You don't want to be around it. He says, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. A non-Christian does not have the ability to please God. Because our best Righteousness, the best we can manage, the absolute best we can come up with is what? Not real pretty, huh? Yeah, steaming <laughs> pile. Yeah. It's not nice. You don't want to look at it. You don't want to be around it. And that's the best we can come up with. That's what our righteousness is before God. We may have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. The mind that's set on the flesh is basically a non-Christian. You were hostile to God before you came to Christ, and you didn't even know it. For it does not submit to God's law. It cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The non-Christian cannot please God. No matter what you did before you came to Christ, not one bit of it ever pleased God. Never. Bill Gates is my perfect example. And I don't know what the recession has done to him, but back, back in the day, <laughs> he decided that $30 billion was enough for him. <laughs> well, pat him on the back. Good boy. <laughs> $30 billion, that's all you really need? $30 billion was enough for him. If I said 30 million, I was wrong. 30 billion. He said, once I reach 30 billion, I'll just give the rest away. Well, isn't that sweet? Ain't that special? I wish I just had one thousandth of one billion. But anyway. <laughs> so he's given away millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions. I don't even know how much money he has poured into foundation, into foundations that he has set up. 
But yet there's no evidence that he's a Christian. There is no evidence that he's following Christ. And so in God's eyes, all that money he gives, all those foundations that he sets up in order to help those who are created in his image is still just what? A steaming pile. That's all it is. That's the best he can produce. Even with billions of dollars, that's the best that a human can produce. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so, that's one of those things that is another result of the sin nature. And it's one of those things that we try to keep away from, and often people don't like it, but it's called total depravity. Simply put, total depravity, the definition is you, as a non-Christian, can do nothing to please God. That's the definition of total depravity. The biblical definition is you can't do a single thing to please God. Oh, but guess what? That's not all. There's more. Oh, really, Ken? Yeah, really. Really. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Talking about spiritual life, right? Because he's talking to people who are physically alive, yes? Whoever does not obey the Son will not see spiritual life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You realize how much the Bible talks about the wrath of God? It talks about the wrath of God more than it talks about the love of God. And it talks about the love of God an awful lot. But we pick that out because that makes us feel good. We like the love of God. <laughs> that makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. We don't like the idea of God's wrath. But the wrath of God is on the sinner. The wrath of God is on the sinner. Therefore, just as one trespass led to condemnation of all men. This word condemnation is a judicial term. The idea is you have a courtroom. And you have, well, I'm the judge. <laughs> you have the defense on this side. And you have the prosecution on this side. I know this because I've been to teen court. <laughs> Daughter does that. And the, the defense tries to say, no, this person, they're not so bad. Look at all the good things they've done. Look at all the good things they've done. And the prosecution says, no, 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 no. Let's look at the whole picture and let's see how bad they've done. Before we come to Christ, there is only prosecution. There is no defense. The prosecution presents their case. The defense is silent. Because there's nothing. There's nothing. And you can stand up and you can whine and you can moan and you say, Father, we, 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 we tried. We did our best. We did everything we could. And Jesus, I mean, you know, when were you destitute and naked and that we didn't help you out? We never saw you. Depart from me. Just go away. Get out of my face. I didn't even know who you were. There's no defense for the non-Christian. Only condemnation. That gavel falls. And the judge says, condemned. Condemned. So from one man came sin. And from that sin came sin nature. But also 
came condemnation. The sin nature and condemnation came. And the result of that condemnation? Spiritual death. You feeling depressed? I hope so. (laughs) I hope you feel rotten right now. I hope you feel nasty. Because the worse you feel now, the better you'll feel later. Because, see, that verse doesn't end there, does it? That verse does not end. Praise God that verse doesn't end. Therefore, just as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so what? One act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Oh, that's those were my next words. Took them right out of my mouth. Praise God. Praise God that verse doesn't end. Because now we have another man. Who is that man? Jesus. And he didn't sin. He did an act of what? Righteousness. He did an act of righteousness. And the result of that righteousness is what? Justification. Justification. That is one of my most favorite terms in the whole world. I love that. Because sometimes people, they just don't understand what this whole idea of justification is. Justification, sometimes it's been poorly defined. And if you ever hear anybody say this, just cringe and go, no! (laughs) Just as if I'd never sinned. No! No! No, that's nasty. Because that really, that eviscerates it. That just takes it and cuts it right in half of what God really did. Justification is not just as if I'd never sinned. It doesn't put us back into a position like Adam was before he fell. No, no. No, justification is so much better. If you were to take it and you were to put it on a balance sheet, okay? So let's let's go, let's change it to a financial term now. And if you were to put it on a balance sheet and here's the zero line, okay? There's the zero right there and there's the line after it. That's the zero line, okay? Everything to the bottom is negative. Everything to the top is positive, right? Before Christ, what was your balance? Here's zero. What was your balance? Negative. About here? No, a little bit further. About here? Maybe about here? How about here? Below. Infinite negative balance. That's where you started at before you came to Christ. You maybe didn't know it. You didn't understand it because nobody had taught you that. But now you do. You started at an infinite negative balance you couldn't get any lower and you just kept going you just kept going but then christ died and he set his righteousness upon us so it's not now about my works it's not now about what i do it's about christ's righteousness i want you to think about this for just a second God takes the righteousness of Christ and sets it on you. When he looks at you, he no longer sees somebody who is at enmity with him. He no longer sees an enemy. He sees his son. He sees the righteousness of his son when he looks at you. And he smiles. And he smiles. An enemy of God. Somebody with an infinite negative balance. We now have the righteousness of God. Because when he put his righteousness on us, we're starting at a negative balance. 
when we have the righteousness of Christ set upon us. Where's our balance now? Oh, right here, right? No, we didn't get to zero. We're already above zero, isn't it? It's not here. It's not. It is an infinite positive balance. It's not just as if I'd never sinned. It doesn't take us back to a state as if we were pure and never sinned like Adam was before the fall. None of that. No, no. We have an infinite positive balance. That's what Christ has given to us. The righteousness of His Son has been set upon you and me. And so when He looks at us, He smiles. And what's the result of that justification? The result of that condemnation was what? Spiritual death. And what is the result of justification? And those whom He justified he, sorry, and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Glorified. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so now, the result of justification, instead of spiritual death being the result of condemnation, what is the result of justification? You got it. Spiritual life. We receive spiritual life because of justification. (laughs) But like I said before, that's not all. That's not all. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Do you understand what that means? New creation. The old has passed away. What did we have before? What nature did we have before? The sin nature. And instead of having the sin nature, we are now a new creation because the old has passed away and the new has come. Amen? The new has come. The new has come. Perfect example from nature. This whole idea of what's called regeneration. Regeneration. Becoming a new creature. Caterpillars. Are they pretty? (laughs) No, not really. Not really. Caterpillars are not all that pretty. Anybody want to, anybody, if they land in your, if if one falls on you and lands in your hair, are you going to go, oh, how pretty, how cute. Anybody here? No, what you, ah! (laughs) Everybody freaking out, right? (laughs) Because that nasty thing got my hair. How do those things move? They got all these little suction cup feet and they kind of, right? They all move like that. And what do they eat? You get too many caterpillars in your your garden, what's going to (laughs) happen? Nothing good. (laughs) Nothing good because they're going to eat it all up. They don't look pretty. They ruin stuff. They don't move nice. Nothing. Ah, but then they climb in a cocoon. And when they come out of that cocoon, what do they look like? They're a butterfly. Now when one lands in your hair, it's pretty. In fact, they make little hair clips and all the ladies wear them. (laughs) Anybody here with a butterfly hair clip? Okay, now how many of you got a caterpillar hair clip? No, no, that's what I thought. (laughs) Not too many, because they're not pretty. They don't eat the same thing. They don't move the same way. They don't look the same. There is nothing similar to the caterpillar in the butterfly. 
Because why? It is a new creation. It is a new creation. And when you come to Christ, the sin nature is gone. And you become a new creation. Now, I'm not here to give you warm fuzzies and say, oh, you're all butterflies. No. But you are a new creation. You are a new creation. Not by works of righteousness, which we did ourselves. But according to His mercy, He saved us. Through the washing of regeneration. That's what we're talking about. Regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. We go back to these results. Result of righteousness is not only justification, it's also what? A new nature. Not a sin nature. The new nature has erased the sin nature. Do you understand? This is exactly the same diagram we went through before, but everything has changed. Everything has changed. In the place of condemnation, there is now justification. In the place of spiritual death, there is now spiritual life. In the place of the sin nature, there is now a new nature. And the result of that new nature is again spiritual life. Spiritual life. But there's another result. Another result. We are now able to please God. Do you realize the difference? That is the complete shift that has gone on before the best you could produce. Mm -hmm. And now you can please God. You can do things that make God smile. He's happy. With me? Yeah. With me. God's so good. God is so good. He has done so much for us. So the answer to that first question, why do we follow God? The answer is simply this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That Greek word, let's go back to the Greek, right? Every, alas. Oh, that means, you know what that means? Every. <laughs> Every spiritual blessing. People want to try and limit this. Limit what sort of spiritual blessings we receive. No, in Jesus Christ, we have received every spiritual blessing. Later in chapter 3 of Ephesians, it talks about how the Holy Spirit is in earnest. He is a down payment of our salvation. Literally speaking, He's a little taste of heaven that God puts inside of us. We have just a little taste of heaven inside of us. It's called the Holy Spirit. It's called the Holy Spirit. See, that's why we follow God. That's why we follow God. We follow God to say thank you. Not for what you're going to do, God. I don't want to live so that I can be like an animist. And if I'm good enough, then I will get some more stuff from you. You'll make me healthy and wealthy and wise. That's not why I follow you. That's not why I want to serve you. I want to serve you because of what you have already done for me. And I just want to live my life to say, thank you, Jesus, for what you have already done. See, the idea is that should free us. It's not about rules. It's not like the animism. 
It's not like we got to do this right and we got to do that right. You got to go to church every Sunday because you got to build up that credit with God. Amen? Good. Nobody said it. <laughs> no. Oh, I got to put some money in the plate because, well, then God will be happy with me. No. Sorry. That's not why you put money in the plate. That is not why you go to church. Oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do something else. I got to check off all these little things to say that I'm a good Christian. That's legalism. And that's horrible. No, there's no list. There's no check marks. It's just, God, you have already done so much for me. I just want to say thank you with my life. And we can serve him any way he leads us. Amen? That's freedom in Christ. We can use different kinds of music. We can do all sorts of different kind of things in order to praise God. Because when it comes from our heart, we're just trying to do what we can to say thank you to God for what he has already done for us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you have done for us. Father, I, I, this morning, obviously, there's just so few things that I could pick out. Just two, really. Justification and regeneration. Just two little things. But, Father, there is so much you have done for us. And, Father God, even if there were no more than just what we've talked about this morning, that would be enough. That would be enough. You have completely changed me. Changed me to the uttermost. And filled me with the Holy Ghost. You have given me your Holy Spirit as a little taste of heaven. You have changed my old nature, my sin nature, into a new nature. You have placed on me justification instead of condemnation. Father God, I have my life to offer you. It's not much. I know that. But it's all I've got. And Father God, may each and every one of us, everyone here, offer you our life simply to say thank you for what you have already done for us. Amen.